when you have a, such a passionate group of enthusiasts, oftentimes what they love is going to also translate over to the public. Because if you're a super fan of something, that means that whatever it is, is going to be really fun. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, I am fit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do it. I'm great. How are you? You can say it. You can, uh, you can be fantastic. I am. <laughs> I am. Good. Super excited. Uh, hey, got a question for you. All right. Uh, when you were 23, had you made a documentary, a full-length documentary about a roller coaster company? So funny you should ask that. Uh, no, I absolutely had not. At 23, I was working in a theme park. Which one at that point? At that point, uh, when I turned 23, I was working for Universal. But by the time I turned 24, I was in the process of opening Legoland Florida. Okay. okay. And... I, I think I had like a, like an iPhone one or an iPhone two or something like that, which had a, had a decent camera roll better than like previous, like, uh, uh, you know, regular, you know, camera phones. Yeah. Um, and it was just full of roller coasters. But I think that that is, does not even compare to having a full documentary about roller coasters. Probably not. Probably not. Um, but our guest today has at the young age of 23, he has produced a documentary about RMC that I am sure is going to roll off the tongues of everybody who sees it. <laughs> That's right. For those who might not be familiar, RMC stands for Rocky Mountain Construction, where for the last 10 years, they have been both refurbishing and building from the ground up steel fabricated roller coasters, often that appear and sometimes kind of feel like you're on a wooden coaster. So their first project was taking over Texas Giant at Six Flags Over Texas uh, near Dallas. And uh, since then, it has just been about conquering the world. And exactly. I know that you and I are both very big fans of, uh, of RMC coasters. And uh, so is Taylor, absolutely, to the point where uh, he set out to make this documentary, This Is How We Roll, which is available now. It's on Vimeo. You can see in the show notes, and Taylor will be able to share with you where you'll be able to get it. But he's also he also has a YouTube channel, Coaster Studios, which helps to engage coaster enthusiasts to build continued awareness and continued interest, and I would say continued fandom in amusement and theme parks all over the world. Absolutely. And what I think is so fascinating is, you know, Taylor's story is about somebody who who loved making movies and taking pictures of things long before he he loved roller coasters. And then those two things have sort of combined. 
uh, to create Coaster Studios and, you know, to hear him tell the story about, well, we were just kind of doing what we loved and, you know, this kind of happened. And I think you hear that trend a lot with people who are successful in what they do. And maybe it's really a, a niche um, area of a, of a, of an industry where they're just doing things because they love it and it becomes something bigger than maybe they had ever, um, ever imagined. And so, uh, to hear about the, the process of creating the documentary, but also, as you were saying, how, what he does, what Taylor does, what coaster studios do that, that can actually help parks and help attractions market. It's not just, you know, an enthusiast making a video for his 10 friends. Right. Mm-hmm, right. There, there's a, there's a big audience out there of people who love roller coasters and want to find out more and maybe can't travel to all the different parks, but maybe seeing one of one of Taylor's videos makes them want to go to that park or maybe inspires them to save up a little bit of money and travel there. So, you know, they're, they're doing a, a, a greater service than just making fan videos. Yeah, and, and we felt that this was an important conversation to have because um, it's it's very interesting in the fact that his audience is the fans, right? It's it's the enthusiast base, but we're talking about this from the angle of really how parks can better engage their fans and really convert them into enthusiasts. Because the fact of the matter is, enthusiasts take up such a small percentage of overall attendance at amusement parks, but at the same time, they're the loudest both in good ways and in bad ways, if they don't have the best experience or they can be some of the biggest critics sometimes because they know the product inside and out. But one way or another, your enthusiasts oftentimes are are your evangelists who are going out there and building continued awareness, maybe with their friend group who uh, might not necessarily be as exposed to the park and everything that it has to offer. So it's really important to look at how can enthusiasts help really bring in more attendance and drive more revenue through the gates. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you think it's ready to uh, roll on into this interview with, uh, with Taylor? I think this is how we will roll into this podcast. Taylor Bybee, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really excited to chat with you today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks to you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. Taylor, uh, just to get this kicked off, can you give us a quick overview, little intro background on yourself and tell us all about Coaster Studios? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm a digital cinema graduate with a passion for uh, the amusement park industry. So I absolutely appeal to uh, basically any fan of roller coasters and theme parks. So I started a YouTube channel back in 2013. And I guess people liked what I was putting out because now it's uh, almost it's getting closer to 200,000 subscribers, which is pretty awesome. So uh, I try to cover any park or roller coaster that has something that I think would be of interest to my audience, which uh, a lot of times is thrill rides. And I try to do a wide variety of videos about that. So I kind of consider myself a bit of a a variety channel. So you'll find um, cool footage about them. You'll find reviews. uh, There's satirical content, uh, documentaries, all sorts of stuff. And it's it's a ton of fun. I love doing it. Taylor, where did this come from? Where did the the passion for roller coasters and unique theme parks and and things come from? Yeah, well, I mean, I can remember picking up a camera from when I was really young. I mean, I was in elementary school, bored out of my mind during the summer. My mom keeps picking out all these different sports for me to try, and I'm not good at any of them. So she's just trying to figure out, like, what 
what are my interests? And so I pick up this old crappy camera she had lying around. And I start making home movies. And so I sometimes joke that I never stopped making home movies. So I was just uh, making these little stories with like my sister and family members and friends, whoever I could find. And then I developed a passion for roller coasters um, upon my first visit to Islands of Adventure. I had, well, that was when I really like conquered that kind of fear. I think I was always like interested in them. I remember getting this little book at uh, like an elementary school, like scholastic book fair. And it had like these really cool looking rides in there. And there was a ride called dueling dragons that looked so cool. It was like two roller coasters going to each other. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks awesome. And so uh, I get the opportunity to go to Islands of Adventure. I think I was like in seventh grade and uh, I was dead set on going there. And I was also a big Harry Potter fan. So I think that definitely helped. And uh, doing that as, along with Hulk, after that, I was I was addicted and I just wanted to go everywhere. And, uh, you know, when you're that young, you have to convince your parents to do anything because uh, you know, you're not old enough to drive. And so uh, I'm really grateful that I had an amazing family that was so supportive and took me to places like uh, Hershey Park. I grew up in Virginia, so, you know, Kingsman and Busch Gardens are, are close, but after that, you start wanting to branch off. And so we went to places like Great Adventure. And uh, now I travel the world with my friends. Sounds awesome. And first of all, RIP to Dueling Dragons. We, oh, we, I know. We all miss it every day, right? And the the yeah. rides, it's just the, the statues right in front. And even, uh, obviously, and even Dragon Challenge when um, uh, when it was converted to Harry Potter. And, uh, yeah, I, I never got to see the statues, but I did get to do it when it was dueling. And that was pretty freaking cool. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, one of the things I, I think is interesting, too, is being both a coaster fan, coaster enthusiast, and also... Uh, very much into uh, film and photography and videography. And that's one of the things that I think is, is actually very cool about, you know, amusement parks or roller coasters is that, yes, obviously as a, as a participant, they're thrilling, they're, you know, you, the rush of adrenaline, but even as a spectator, uh, you know, a, a lot of the joy and the thrill even just comes from watching it. And that I think is probably where like the, like the, the film or the, the video part comes in to be able to, well, in, in your case, engage an audience. But that was always something that I was really interested to when I um, got interested in, in roller coasters. And it was, you know, I just had a regular digital camera and was like, I want to get some really good pictures of the rides too. Talk about a little bit, uh, maybe for you, how those two passions blend together and obviously eventually, you know, be became one and turned into Coaster Studios. Yeah. I mean, I have loved filming things longer than I've loved roller coasters. So, you know, uh, uh, someone asked me once, they said, if you had to give up roller riding roller coasters or filming things, what would you do? And frankly, I think I'd give up riding roller coasters uh, because I am addicted to, you know, being behind the camera and editing, doing all, all sorts of stuff. Cause you know, uh, as a, as a young guy, I constantly am doing all aspects of video production. And so, um, I, in, in that regard, you know, if you stuck me on a, on a movie set, I could do all, all sorts of stuff. Cause that's what I'm used to doing. And so when I go to a theme park, I like spending my day, you know, getting all these cool shots and thinking of, of all that. I, I don't have to be that guy that, uh, just wants to lap a roller coaster over and over and over again. To me, it's it's more rewarding to go and get all these like really cool shots. And every time I don't bring a camera to a park and the lighting is amazing, I'm just like kicking myself, you know. So um, to me, I think it is also a way of reliving memories. Like the way that I can look back at the footage I've shot from from years ago. I 
you know, it reminds me of all the fun times I have. And so uh, I think also for a lot of uh, the videos I'm making, it is like a, it's a video diary. It's, it's a way of um, being able to think back to all those amazing memories that I have. And so um, I think that's a good portion of why I do it, but also, you know, it, it's also just fun. And, and I, I also really like helping people and I, I can definitely see how it has uh, benefited just, you know, fans from all over, which I think is, is really fun. I love hearing the stories of people that um, developed that passion for the theme park in- industry because they started watching Coaster Studios, which is insane to think about. Well, it's insane, but it's also really cool. And I'd love to tap into your story a little bit more. So you started Coaster Studios, you know, filming these things that are really cool. And if somebody were to meet you now or to start following you on Twitter, they'd see you traveling all over. You've got this documentary we're going to talk about. Um, How did you go from that first video and the first, you know, the first bit of the YouTube channel to now over 200,000 subscribers, I think you said, and, and like you said, traveling around with your friends and riding roller coasters and filming it all. How how did that come about? Well, I mean, I know it's so cliche to say, but it is seriously just determination and, and not giving up. I think that I had all these fun ideas when I was younger, but I didn't know how to properly execute them because let's face it, no one gets it right on the first try. And so uh, I was trying to figure out what are the best ways to go about doing this. And so it was a learning process for me. And so I guess I was uh, probably a freshman in high school when I started things and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just having fun. I didn't even know that you could turn YouTube into a career. I I was just doing it because uh, I had met a YouTuber and he was like, hey, you guys should go subscribe to to Taylor over here. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't have a YouTube channel. I guess now I should probably go post something to, uh, yeah, I feel obligated to. And so um, I think, but even if that hadn't happened, I think all, all routes of my life would have led to me putting videos up online. It's just something that uh, in with the technology that we have today, I I talk to so many people where uh, they just want their their content to be seen, even if it's not you know that they're hoping to uh, turn it into something long lasting, just for uh, the satisfaction of uh, getting your work out there. And I think that's also what's so awesome about social media. So um, it's it was a lot of a lot of work. Um, I was I think always content with the the numbers that I had at the time in relation to, you know, my, my age. So when I was real young and I had, you know, a couple hundred subscribers, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. If I start a YouTube channel now and that's all I had, that, that might be a little discouraging. And so I'd, I'd probably feel like, oh, I don't know if this is going anywhere. But at the time I was like, you know, this is awesome. And then uh, just seeing that, that number uh, steadily grow to the point where, um, now I just want, you know, keep, keep pushing it further, keep uh, reaching as many people as possible. So as you've seen your channel continue to grow and you keep putting out phenomenal content, engaging the audience and using YouTube as the ideal platform or kind of the, the vehicle to be able to get to that point, how, how does that then affect the way that you look at maybe what parks are actually doing from their own internal marketing resources are they leveraging youtube in ways that they should or should they take a page out of your book in in some some cases to be able to better engage with their fans and why is youtube just such a a great platform for engaging an audience from that capacity 
Yeah, you know, I, I feel like with so many different forms of social media out there, I feel like parks are not leveraging YouTube as much as you think. I think that Twitter and Instagram and even TikTok nowadays are is, is building so much momentum that I feel like that is the park's go-to uh, in, instead of YouTube, which is interesting because I feel like it almost used to be the other way around. Um, I think the issue comes in that when a park posts a video, it is inherently advertising. That's their goal. And the audiences know that when they go to watch it. So there's automatically a sense going in that they might not necessarily be able to trust what their brand is saying because they're aware that the park's goal is to make money. It's the same way when you see a commercial uh, park is, or no, let's say, uh, let's say a fast food place is advertising uh, a new burger. Well, is it actually going to be as good looking as, as the commercial makes out to be? So uh, of course, these parks are going to try and make everything look as good as possible. They want people to buy it. So when you have a, a YouTube channel, it inherently makes it so that uh, the people that are watching, let's say my videos or, or someone else's videos, they know that we don't have that ulterior motive. Our goal isn't to get them to spend money at that park. Our goal is we just want people to have fun. And so we are making a video saying, hey, this ride is awesome. And if we've kind of built up that that brand trust, then people will hopefully say, hey, yeah, this is worth my time and my money to actually go there. So I think that over time, uh, I've built up an audience that has uh, really taken my opinion and the opinion of everyone that's in my videos to, to heart. And I think that that's what is really helpful about the enthusiast community is you get so many people that are huge fans of roller coasters. They go out there and they are talking about how great this ride is that uh, anyone who sees that they're seeing the same thing over and over again that, yeah, okay, maybe this is something I should go check out. And so, um, you know, not every visit to a theme park is going to be perfect every time. And if something goes wrong, uh, I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to try and do it in a way to explain you know, what that issue is, how it can be solved. And so if I'm not recommending a park, uh, I think, you know, it, it goes that other way. And uh, so hopefully, you know, we're having a good experience that we can tell people, yeah, this is worth spending your money there. But also, um, you know, if if something ends up being a weird fluke, then then the theme park fan can look at that and say, you know, maybe this is something that I should not go check out. Yeah, I think what's what's really interesting is when you think about um, the message that you're sending, it's really authentic, right? So there's nobody that's behind you saying, say this or say that, right? Where to your point, somebody might think that, and it could be a YouTube video, it could be a Facebook post, it could be any kind of advertising that the park is putting out there, that there is an ulterior motive behind that. They want to, uh, they want you to come visit them, which I guess is not a bad thing. Of course, they have to make money. No, no, of course. Um, but, you know, kind of going back to the authentic piece, um, and this may be a little bit more inside baseball, but uh, can you talk a little bit about the production value? Because we do have a lot of tools that can put, you know, make, make really, really great quality videos and pictures and graphics and that kind of thing. But I think sometimes, at least for me, the most engaging ones are the ones that aren't like overly produced and you just get somebody authentically sharing their opinion or sharing their thoughts. So can you kind of talk about maybe the balance between, you know, doing all those fancy edits and things versus just putting something out there that's authentic. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great point. And I think that's also what, 
in a way I try to do whenever I have a, a variety of content. So um, I have a, a series of, of videos where my whole goal is to make these rides look incredible. You know, maybe uh, I'm uh, flying, uh, the park has allowed me to fly a drone around it or stick a camera on the ride or uh, getting these really cool like sun flares, basically anything to make the ride look amazing. And then you might have a vlog where you can only dress it up so much. We're here, we're walking around a park and uh, you know, you can have the nicest camera in the world, but at the end of the day, if what is on the other side of that camera doesn't look amazing, then you know, th there's not really a way to hide it. So I think that's also, uh, the, I think the parks know that and they're trying to, you know, dress up with every corner. So there's not one spot untouched because uh, when we're in the 21st century where everyone has a camera on their phone, it is very easy for uh, everyone to, to capture the, the spots that maybe don't look so good. And I think that, uh, so, so in a way that, that is very important, absolutely. Yeah. How important then is your relationship with the park specifically, knowing that you are coming at this from an authentic standpoint and with a high production value standpoint, um, and that your your audience in a way, almost like your your customer is the enthusiast by engaging with the video, which of course increases the number of subscribers, number of plays, hours played. And, you know, that's, you know, a, a huge component to, you know, to YouTube monetization. Uh, how important is it then to make sure that you've got a positive relationship with the park so that they are more agreeable to allow you to come in and and film or, or video even knowing that if you so if you see something that seems a little out of place you're not going to shy behind that because you're not working for the park directly you're working for your audience yeah absolutely you know um i think that as long as the parks kind of look at it as a way of they're always trying to improve. And I think most people are, are completely aware of that, you know, and, and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about a little earlier, where uh, if a visit is not perfect, uh, I tried to address it in a way that, look, here's, here's the issue and how can we improve it to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And so uh, I, I think that, it, that that's really important, that every single video is not us just saying, like, everything is incredible because if you do that you almost start to lose uh that that brand trust that you've built up where if we're saying every single roller coaster is the best thing we've ever done well how can everything be the best that means you know when it's actually the best how do we even know that you're telling the truth so um at least best. in terms of keeping <laughs> what sorry the bestest. <laughs> yeah, 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 basically. Um, I have a friend that jokes that every single roller coaster is like in his, his top 10. He gets off a ride and he says, uh, yeah, that's in my top 10. And I asked him, how many rides are in your top 10? And I swear it's like 30. I'm like, I, how do I trust that you're actually like telling the truth there? So um, at least in terms of uh, keeping that good relationship with the, the parks, I mean, I know that they're always hoping that uh, when a guest walks through their gates, they're going to have like an amazing time. And I think that um, when they are inviting me out, or in this case, I think it could be anyone that has uh, some sort of influence on a community. Um, I, you, at least the parks are, I think, aware of everything positive that they have to offer. They, they know that they got these uh, incredible experiences that they hope to deliver with, and, and they have that wow factor. Because uh, I, I think people forget, you know, when you're in the enthusiast community, it's easy to talk about roller coasters, but Roller coasters inherently are freaking cool. They're these high-tech pieces of machinery that deliver on that wow factor. It's it's taking us out of 
our reality and putting us in a space where uh, we can think about nothing else but riding that roller coaster. And so because it's a limited experience that you can only get at certain places, I think that they know that people are always hoping to uh, just go out there, have fun, and uh, they don't have to worry about work or any problems going on in the world. And so uh, because of that, I hope that when the parks are reaching out to us, uh, they're keeping that in mind that we can deliver a quality video to showcase, hey, this place is really fun. And if you come here, you're going to be able to uh, get that quality experience. And um, that's what makes amusement parks so fun is each one offers something different. So it just makes you want to go to all of them. I definitely want to go to all of them. Um, but Taylor, you just used a word that I wanted to tap into a little bit, and that was influence. Because before we started recording, uh, Josh and I were kind of talking about how you really do influence the enthusiast community. We're talking about potentially influencing other guests that may be outside of that community. So I guess the first part of that question is, do you consider yourself an influencer? I would say so. Um, I don't know if I necessarily keep that in the back of my head every time I'm producing a video, but I think it is absolutely the case. Yes. Okay. And then does that bring with it a certain level of responsibility? And you've kind of talked about it already with credibility, but it, does it come with a certain responsibility to kind of keep going and keep yourself out there so that you can keep influencing? I, I think so. It absolutely uh, is, is something that I feel obligated to like, and you know, uh, I think part of me every once in a while thinks about, you know, what if I just like dropped off the face of the earth? <laughs> what if I just like, like despair and, and no one ever heard from me on YouTube again? I think that um, there's enough people out there that look forward to uh, the, the content that we're producing that, yeah, they'd be like, well, well now what do I do? I have to go find someone else to hear reviews of roller coasters from like, so uh, I, I think there is absolutely a, a sense of uh, responsibility for it. And, and I think I always appreciate it whenever the parks see that and they um, might be able to offer some sort of exclusive experience to help uh, make the content better to maybe even if it's just for, for advertising purposes. Like um, I'll give you an example. Uh, this past summer, so 2020, um, Holiday World reached out where they said, hey, we are going to be doing some tours of the voyage and we want to offer this experience to our guests because we know this is something that is most going to appeal to the coaster enthusiast because it's, let's say it's uh, 160 some dollars. Uh, you you got to be a pretty big fan of uh, you know roller coasters to want to spend just that much to do this cool experience. And so uh, they said, why don't we bring you guys out there? We'll show you uh, what this tour would be like, so you can put something out there to show uh, the roller coaster community how cool this is. And so there was a sense of responsibility where I felt, okay, I got to make this you know, look cool so the park is happy, but also when you have that cool of an experience, that's not a hard thing to do. We were having a blast uh, going backstage and, you know, we're a bunch of roller coaster dorks. And so we're like, Oh, we're on voyage. Oh, this is so cool. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I think instances like that are, are, are really appreciated because, uh, one, it benefits me cause I get to do something cool. Uh, it benefits the audience cause they get to learn about something that if they are going out to holiday world, they can say, Hey, this, that seems awesome. I absolutely want to do that. And then it helps the park because it brings them in an extra uh, source of revenue. Yeah. 
So, so I think this is a really interesting example here. And, and Holiday World, I feel like, has always been, I would say, one of the leaders in engaging the enthusiast community, I would say, and, and ultimately has built up and maybe possibly even a stronger fan base. For the majority of parks and looking at it you know, from a marketing angle, enthusiasts don't make up that much of attendance. If you look no. at families who are on vacation, if you look at school groups, the amount of buses that are in the parking lots every single day you go to a park, these aren't always buses full of enthusiasts. If they were, it would be an interesting day visiting. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. But why should parks engage and particularly hyper focus on such a small subset of their overall attendance knowing that it's it's a very niche group of people i know this has been said before but when you have a group of roller coaster enthusiasts i mean those are your biggest supporters they will be there to back you in every instance but also you know when you have diehard fans i think that they're also going to be your your biggest critics and so i mean you absolutely see that with uh, i know the the most basic example is is disney fans they are uh about as diehard as they get i, I saw an interesting tweet from uh it was uh, i think it was alicia stella that said this uh, it was something about um so what you guys just like talking about roller coasters online but you don't actually like go into the parks it was, <laughs> it was just kind of made me think about because uh we are often the loudest when a park makes a change. If that's in the positive direction, then we're the ones saying, this is gonna be insane, everyone needs to go out here. But then maybe a, a change that isn't the most well-received, uh, they're gonna be the ones to, to talk about it, even though maybe the mass group of people, it's something so small that they might not really care. And so I think there there really is a balance. and. I absolutely understand that, yeah, it doesn't make any sense for the parks to cater to uh, the roller coaster enthusiasts, nor do I think they should. Absolutely. Because, yeah, it's at the end of the day, it is about, you know, how, how much money are you going to be able to walk away from from today? Because we're your business. You got to keep it going. So that being said, when you have uh, such a passionate group of enthusiasts, oftentimes what they love is gonna also translate over to the public because if you're a super fan of something that means that whatever it is is going to be really fun so my favorite example uh and this is in no way because i'm making a document about it but it's rocky mountain construction uh this is a company that has a huge fan base um if you look on on their facebook page they're like the only manufacturer that's selling merchandise and you walk around in music park you see people wearing RMC merchandise to the point where even uh, I think Kingsman and Cedar Point, uh, the only two Cedar Fair parks that, that got an, an RMC roller coaster, they're selling merchandise that has the RMC name association with it. So they have built up uh, an incredible brand. And so when the enthusiasts are the biggest fans of RMCs, they want those everywhere. That also, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is uh, that the everyone that I've ever seen that goes out and rides those rides ends up walking away from it, loving it to the point where uh, I've seen some people that absolutely just started off as just your average uh, theme park goer. You know, they don't really know anything about them, but they might walk away from uh, that roller coaster experience that got uh, all the enthusiasts excited. They say, "Whoa, that was so awesome!" I I got to do more of those. I got to do that over and over and over again. So uh, they start to turn into 
one of your biggest fans too. Uh, I had a great experience with, uh, we went to Kings of Man, this exact same thing happened where we were with one of our friends who knew not really anything about roller coasters and they got off some of the rides there and said, that was incredible. They went and turned around and bought a season pass to Kings of Man. Actually, I think it was a platinum pass because they wanted to go off and, and do more of these things. And so uh, it is, it's cool to me to see how just something like that, that uh, all the enthusiasts were pushing for, uh, turned more people into those those diehard fans that uh, you know are ends up being the park's uh, biggest biggest fans. You know. Yeah, Taylor. I think it's really interesting you mentioned um, you know kind of the branding with RMC and the and the shirts. And I was on a coaster trip, I think two years ago and a friend of mine had an RMC shirt on and the coaster op noticed that and that, that started a whole conversation and it, and it, it was a B&M coaster that we were on, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, it was just that, that language, that vocabulary that we have, uh, you know, as coaster nerds, we know what, what brands are out there and what manufacturers are out there. But again, you make a really interesting point about the kind of the branding piece of it. And of course, we brought up the documentary, brought up RMC. So let's get into that. So what led to this documentary with uh, with RMC? Sure. So uh, I recently graduated from uh, Utah Valley University. And uh, in the digital cinema department, you have to do a senior capstone. And I had done some uh, smaller pieces on uh, some some parks, you know, little uh, featurettes. I, I did a 40-minute documentary on Kentucky Kingdom a couple of years ago. And so I knew that I wanted to do some sort of documentary for this school project. And I had met the people at RMC from actually visiting their facility as well as attending uh, places like IAPA. And so I reached out to them and said, what would you guys think about uh, documentary and the overwhelming answer was this is something that we've been wanting. We just weren't sure who should be the one to, to tell this story, you know? Uh, and I think that's why being a roller coaster fan is, is pretty cool because I have my own pre-existing opinions of, of RMC. I'm, I'm just, you know, starting off as a, as a guy that just loves their roller coasters. And now we're going out there, we're meeting the people behind this company and really learning that, you know, RMC is awesome, not just for the rides, but uh, this whole uh, group of people that has, has come out and come out with this incredible product. And so uh, that was a really, really cool experience. And then just through filming, realized that this is a much bigger story to tell than I think we initially realized. We were thinking, oh, yeah, maybe like a 40-minute piece or something. And here we are, and the entire documentary is an hour and 20 minutes. So actually, it ended up being so big that uh, for the school assignment, going back to that, we ended up just making a little 17 minute cut that we showed to uh, the school ended up winning like the uh, film of the year at the university or something like that. So um, I was able to graduate, which is cool, but, (laughs) um, but we, uh, I I could, you know, kept working on it, kept on filming. And so the documentary is now out there for everyone to see, which is a pretty freaking awesome. So tell people a little bit about, well, Give the title because I don't even think you said that uh, and where they can find it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's called This Is How We Roll. It tells the story of Fred Grubb and RMC and how the company came to be. And it is available on Vimeo. Uh, the link is vimeo.com slash on demand slash this is how we roll movie. So at the time of this recording, I've only seen the trailer because it's not out yet. But at the time of this release, 
I will have seen the whole thing. So I'll, I'll probably know the answer to this question by the time this comes out. But you mentioned that it turned out to be a much bigger story to tell. Can you expand a little bit on that? Why was it not uh, the 40 minute documentary or a, maybe a mini documentary that you initially intended to uh, or set out to produce? Sure. Well, I, I think the, mo the easiest answer to give here is because not everything that we knew about RMC was available online. You know, you can do all the research you want on something, but until you actually go out and talk to the people behind that company, you're going to be missing uh, some some key aspects of the story. And so we do an interview with someone and they bring up something that we've never heard of. It was like, whoa, hold on, wait, you did what? And then who, who does that involve? Okay, now let's go and talk to them and get their side of the story. And that just kept on happening and building to the point where we had so much content that we had to pick and choose uh, what stories here are we gonna tell? And that was cool, just going out around the country, uh, talking to, theme park fans, as well as every, people that were involved in RMC, uh, including you know, just uh, uh, people at the company, as well as uh, people that they work with. And so I think that it was a lot more ambitious than we realized going in. And we were definitely way in over our heads, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, it's because it now I guess it's coming out a little over a year and a half after we initially started. And, you know, here we were thinking that, oh yeah, this will be like maybe a six months project. And so uh, it evolved quite a bit. That's really, really has, cool. Has there anything like this been done before? I, you know, I'm trying to think back, like as you're talking here and I was like, I, I can't think of any other documentary for a ride or coaster manufacturer. Now I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe maybe Anton Schwarzkopf, maybe the Aero guys, like they had to have had some sort of, uh, it, maybe not a full length feature documentary, but I mean, is there anything that you were able to use as a reference point for this? I mean, there's a there's a documentary on Aero out there called Legacy of Aero, and that was actually done by the American coaster enthusiasts. Uh, but if you go out and watch that, which it's, it's very well done, uh, it's, a, it's a great documentary, However, it is very different from This Is How We Roll. Uh, that, that documentary is largely narration-based, which totally makes sense. You know, so many of those people that are involved in Arrow are no longer around. So that's what you got to do. Now we're telling a story about a company whose involvement in the amusement industry has primarily been within the past 10 years. And so they're still out there. Uh, building rides and it's all the original team members mm -hmm. and I think that's why we want to tell the story because they really exploded in the amusement park scene no one was talking about them and now suddenly everyone's talking about them and I think that, that is insane you just look at the fact of how their first ride was New Texas Giant how insane that roller coaster is they won a golden ticket award for you know what was RMC's first ever ride that how does that even happen? And so that I think that was a big reason why we wanted to go out and tell the story. And also because people are such big RMC fans, I think we knew that this would be a subject that people would be really interested in. So you mentioned that there was a lot of um, editing that you had to do in terms of what are you going to include in the story? So is there a lot of like bonus footage or, you know, when, when the DVD comes out, are there going to be extras and stuff like that? Like, like how do people get the, the behind the scenes uh, footage that, you know, it didn't make it into the, in the documentary? Yeah. Well, I, 
I think the, the whole behind the scenes footage aspect of it is uh, still to be determined, but there is some bonus content with, because uh, uh, there, there are two options when you go on Vimeo. You can rent it, which gives you access to it in a 24 hour period, or you can uh, go ahead and buy it. You can watch it as many times as you want. And when you do that, you get access to uh, some bonus features. So like one of them is uh, me and my two other crew members sitting in the RMC shop, just sharing stories from filming, which, uh, which is pretty fun. And then we're also gonna do a uh, full commentaries on on the documentary, which is uh, fun. But uh, I think there's definitely potential for use of some of these other stories because uh, there there are a lot of crazy ones. There's a whole sequence where it's just going into um, all of these insane incidences where Fred Grubb almost died. And <laughs> it's just like one crazy story after another. Uh, and th there were so many that we only included three <laughs> or four, something like that. So I don't know, like. Yeah, there was a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, uh, that just gets me more and more pumped up to, to see this. I'm so excited. I, bridging this, though, with our earlier conversation and tying into parks, marketing to enthusiasts, and now there's a documentary that is really specifically geared towards enthusiasts. What is your goal for This Is How We Roll? What do you want to see uh, in terms of your audience who are fans of roller coasters, likely Rocky Mountain fans, it, is this intended to engage even more interest in Rocky Mountain and therefore roller coasters in general, get out to your nearest park? Do you want to see more parks implement more Rocky Mountains? I think that's probably an obvious given, but <laughs> what do you, what's your kind of uh, intention for where you want to see this go? Sure. Well, the first thing I'll say is that in no way is this documentary meant to be a commercial. There's this is something that yeah could could play at at IAPA as a um, a way of showing off all of the cool things that RMC has done. But we're the whole idea of this was not to get you know places to go out and and buy more RMC rides. I think um, I think the whole idea was just to add another layer to this, give give people more of an appreciation for these incredible roller coasters because people can ride steel vengeance as much as they want but when you learn about how that came to be and the people behind it i think that uh you will ride that with uh greater understanding and, and this has happened to to me several times since making this project uh i can't ride new texas giant anymore without thinking about uh, everything that went into that ride. And, and you, know, you also mentioned about how this is uh, really geared towards roller coaster uh, fans, which is true. However, we have really designed the documentary to cater to anyone that has any sort of fascination or interest, just wants to learn more about roller coasters. Because here is the issue that you know we are really thinking about is we have to make this engaging to people that don't know anything and and how can we capture that uh that interest to draw more people in because people love going out and riding roller coasters but how many of those people want to sit on a couch and watch something about a roller coaster instead of going out and riding one and that was something that we really had to sit down and think about and so when you watch the documentary you'll see that roller coasters are really the b storyline the a storyline is about the people and you get to know these people and you become attached to them by the end of the documentary. And so I think that that is what um, one of our biggest goals was with the project. And 
I, I think it's achieved. And I think that's what uh, was, was kind of fun. People ask, what is, what is, this is how we roll about. Well, I guess the easy answer is roller coasters, but uh, I would like to beg to differ that. I think that it's a story about family and it's a story about uh, determination and uh, perseverance. And I think that that is what is going to appeal to the mass majority of people. That's so cool. So as a filmmaker, would you see yourself making more documentaries in the future? Uh, yeah, I yeah, I enjoy it. So I, I definitely think that uh, I'll, I'll keep on going. And every single time I, I take on a new project, I learn more and I try to get better. So I learned a ton of stuff making this project. And so, uh, you know, I have no idea what what another documentary from Coaster Studios could look like, but uh, I'm sure it'll happen at some point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So Taylor, we still have a, a little bit of time left and we've talked a lot about, I would say kind of the, the business aspect of what you do, but at the end of the day, you know, Matt and I are both enthusiasts ourselves. You know, we were before, you know, joining the industry and occasionally we like to kind of turn the podcast into a little bit of, I would say enthusiast banter. Uh, <laughs> What would you say is your favorite roller coaster? Oh, I, you know, I don't have any kids, but I feel like that's what's ask, like asking who's, who's your favorite kid. I'm like, I don't yeah. know. Um, I, I honestly go back and forth on this so much. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm a huge sucker for RMCs, so like Steel Vengeance is an easy answer. But uh, I'm also a, a big diehard fan of like El Toro and The Voyage. Uh, I also, I, I've been saying my favorite all steel roller coaster, no hybrids or anything, just pure steel is uh, at Janica at Fuji Q. Uh, I, I love that one. Uh, if you've done X2, but not uh, at Janica, this is a more refined version of X2. They, they fixed all of their mistakes. And so <laughs> um, uh, I love that one. And uh, there's, there's tons out there. Uh, I, I have, I'm in Orlando right now. So Velocicoaster is down the street and that thing's pretty incredible too. Yeah. So another kind of enthusiast question, front seat or back seat? Oh, I'm, I'm a dedicated backseat rider. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I love the front. It's a, you know, the more scenic option and it's, it's certainly fun to feel the speed there, but uh, everything's more extreme in the back. So yeah, that's where you'll find me most of the time. So you tend to get a little bit more airtime in the back. Are you floater or ejector? Oh, I, um, oh, come on, Josh. <laughs> I'm a <ejector. laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Give me, give me all the extreme stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's a, a coaster that surprised you? Like, you know, we, we can watch coasters all day long on, on YouTube and things like that, but what's something that maybe you knew something about, but when you, when you wrote it, you're like, that is not what I expected at all. Ooh. Um, I would say, uh, any roller coaster that I haven't really done any research on. Okay. And so uh, no, no on-ride videos. I don't really know what to expect. So I can think of a couple uh, indoor roller coasters that I did in, in Japan where I had gotten there and I didn't know a thing about them. And uh, there, was, there was one that we did where it, starts, it started off as like a video game, uh, like, like Guitar Hero, where you're pressing these buttons and then it launches you and uh, it starts spinning and then flips you upside down. And it was like, what the heck is this thing? <laughs> it's just like fun and weird. I think, I think those are the ones that, that give me the most are the ones that just are, are so bizarre and not mainstream. So uh, this isn't a roller coaster, but I just did uh, Mickey and Minnie's at Hollywood Studios uh, just uh, last week for the first time. And that was another one I hadn't seen like any uh, on-ride video from or anything. And that, that was a lot of fun too. So uh, I'm, I'm a theme park fan. So I, I, do, I do all sorts of rides, not just roller coasters too. 
I, I always like to say that Revenge of the Mummy is one of the biggest coasters that surprised me the most the first time I wrote it. I've now written it, I don't know, probably a couple hundred times and I can tell you sure. a piece of track, but I remember first time I got off of it, I was like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. No, definitely. No, no, that's a fun one. Yeah. Um, so two part question for you here. Uh, the first is what is your coaster count? And the second part of the question is what's, what's not on your coaster count? What's still on your coaster? Yeah. Count? <laughs> uh, so I've hit uh, pretty much every, every big park in, in America. So, uh, my roller coaster count is I think 780. It's, uh, Pretty, pretty good for, for a 23-year-old dude, I think. <laughs> so uh, uh, that includes also uh, theme parks in Europe and, and Japan. Uh, what is not on my bucket list, I have not done the world's fastest roller coaster, Formula Rosa. Uh, I'd love to do that one. Uh, down in Australia, DC Rivals looks pretty awesome. And uh, I want to conquer China at some point. That is a, a beast. And uh, it's something that has, has fascinated me. A lot of weird looking stuff there. So uh, <laughs> I, I want to go there, not just for the theme parks, but also just the culture and everything. I love a uh, uh, sightseeing and whatnot. So a uh, lot of places I want to get to at some point. What about you? You just mentioned you're a theme park nerd. What about non-coaster uh, attractions, dark rides, flat rides? What do you think? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Universal is is a, a big one for me that I, 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 I just bought an annual pass there this past year for the first time. And uh, I'm a big fan of any of their attractions for Bin Journey is a is a big one for me. I also love Spider-Man. And uh, I mean, you know, over at Disney can't go wrong with like Rise of the Resistance. So um, I think I think any of those are are ones that I'll, you'll always see me like coming back to. I love Star Wars. So, you know, Rise of the Resistance is pretty insane. Yeah. Awesome. So just for our, our listening audience here, we, we often do map out several questions in anticipation of the interview. Everything you heard in the last five minutes was that we, that was pure banter there. So definitely completely <laughs> unplanned. <laughs> Taylor, as we uh, start to wind this down here, if people want to A, get a hold of you directly, B, want to learn more or subscribe to Coaster Studios, or C, get their hands on this is how we roll, where would you send them? And then that sure. asked you a two-part question. Now we're at a three-part question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's all good. So uh, just search uh, Coaster Studios on YouTube. Uh, it, it should pop up there. Um, videos from all over the world there. So uh, there, there's probably something from your local theme park that uh, hopefully you'll, you'll find interesting. Uh, always trying to put out new content and um, trying to do stuff that a lot of other channels aren't. So... Uh, hopefully, hopefully there's something on there that uh, you like. Uh, also on all forms of social media, you can search Coaster Studios on Facebook. Uh, it's uh, at Coaster underscore Studios on Instagram. Uh, also on Twitter. Uh, that's a great place to reach me. Uh, like a lot of people in the uh, day and age that we live in, I'm addicted to social media, so I'm always on there. <laughs> and uh, if you want a copy of This Is How We Roll, I, I think I mentioned the the what the link is uh, earlier in the episode. But again, it's over on Vimeo. Uh, vimeo.com slash on demand slash this is how we roll movie. And we also have that link uh, plastered all over our social media. Uh, please give it a watch. Uh, it's a couple bucks, but I, I promise it's worth it. It is uh, the biggest, most ambitious project uh, I've ever done. And I think uh, it'll get a lot of people talking. It's a, it's a pretty cool subject. 
That's very cool. I know. I can't wait to watch it. And uh, we'll put all those links and stuff in the show notes so people have those there as well. Uh, so, Taylor, this has been an awesome uh, interview. Thank you so much again for your time. Uh, really enjoyed hearing about all of your um, your your success with YouTube and, and with the documentary specifically. Can't wait to hear and see what else you come up with in the years to come. Uh, but for right now, everybody who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.